Good morning, everybody. I'm going to have to get my composure after that. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Why I take a few moments to get set up here. Matthew chapter 11. While you're turning there, maybe you've come in here today and Jesus is not your living hope. Like you don't know God. And you know something's been wrong for a long time. And you felt empty, discouraged, and the Lord's been speaking to you already in the service. Today's the day that you need to settle it with what you're going to do with Jesus. And I hope that this message will encourage you if you're there, if you're not a believer, or if you're just not sure, if you were to die today, if you were to get hit by a car, or you to die in your sleep, if you're not sure you would go to heaven, if you're not sure that you would stand before God, and He would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy, because you've trusted my Son then let today be the day that you settle it with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your goodness. Lord, you are holy and you are loving. You are just towards all evil and and yet you're compassionate towards sinners in need. And Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. I thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to help discouraged people. And Father, whatever we've come in this morning with on our hearts, Lord, whatever burdens, whatever discouragements, whatever loneliness, despair, whatever sorrow of soul or whatever malady of heart, Jesus can deal with it. And so we pray, Father, that you would work effectually through your word, that you would encourage us, and that you would help us, Lord, to know what to do with our discouragement, with our doubt, and with our despair. And we pray that you would blow upon this word and that you would speak to each and every heart. Lord, we need medicine. We need it from the great physician, and we pray, Father, that you would provide it now. And Lord, I just yield myself up. Lord, work in ways that we can't ask, hope, or imagine. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't need to take a show of hands to know that probably everybody in here has dealt with discouragement with hard times, with sorrow, with suffering in life. And we're going to encounter today a passage where we normally don't think of this particular prophet as somebody who would be dealing with discouragement. Because we're going to see John the Baptist, right? Who's known for his fiery boldness, who's known for his prophetic edge, who's known for his ability to, in the face of 
the wickedness and the evil of the religious establishment of his day to preach a message of repentance and a message like people get ready, Jesus is coming. And to do it fearlessly and tirelessly. And Jesus would actually say of John the Baptist that there's been no one greater who was born of a woman than John the Baptist. Right? So John is not somebody that we associate with discouragement, with despair, and with perhaps questioning, is Jesus the real deal? Because, right, John comes on the scene, he baptizes Jesus. He sees the heavens open up. And the Father proclaimed, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God comes on Jesus. And this is the same John the Baptist said, that said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the same John the Baptist that said to the Pharisees in their religious hypocrisy, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. This is John the Baptist. And yet... We encounter him today in our text and he's full of discouragement and he's beginning to doubt the identity of Jesus from a prison cell. And I wonder if some of us have come in here today and we're deeply discouraged and we've got it in our heads that maybe discouragement and Christianity can't like coexist like this Jesus thing and Christianity can't coexist. Or maybe we've come in and we're just discouraged because we feel like there would not be this many hard things going on in my life if Jesus was on the throne. Maybe there's a mother or father in here today who's began to doubt and be discouraged because of a wayward child. And you've been suffering a long time wondering if anything's going to change. And you can identify with John. Is Jesus the one? Maybe you're in here today and you've been dealing with chronic illness. Your body's failing. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And you're discouraged about that because you see your physical reality just deteriorating. And it's hard. And you're wondering, where's God in all this? Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Maybe you're in here today and you've been given to long bouts of depression discouragement. You can't even put your finger on it. Maybe it comes from loneliness. Maybe it comes from being disconnected, isolated from fellowship. You're in struggling to make it to church. And you're wondering, can anything different happen? Is Jesus the one? And this is one I want to say to us, Smithfield. Like, Jesus enters into all of that 
and he knows how to give his prophet the medicine he needs. He knows how to, 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 to work in a discouraged soul and bring the answer and the hope. He knows how to help disciples deal with discouragement Jesus' way. And he doesn't promise a primrose path. He doesn't promise there's not going to be hard things. But what he will show us is that he's going to be with you through it. He doesn't say there's going to be no valleys, but he'll be with you in the valley. And the greatest saints in church history and some of the greatest men of God and women of God have gone through bouts of discouragement and what would even be called depression. My personal hero, Charles Spurgeon, often dealt with extended bouts of depression and discouragement in life. I can think of one example where he was entering a pulpit. They had just basically rented out this place called the Surrey Music Hall. And it was probably about 20,000 capacity, like standing room old. The, the place was just filled, right? And thousands and thousands of people. Charles gets up to preach and to pray and somebody yells a heckler yells in the crowd fire 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 and the place just goes into a panic and erupts with disorder and chaos and people are trampling each other and I think six or seven people died and it just crushed Spurgeon he just thought how could this happen you know, he's donning the pulpit. He's wanting to see the people of God encouraged. And people are being trampled to death right in front of him. And it brought him so low, he was in a bed for weeks. But he knew what it was to experience the Savior's help in dealing in the way of discouragement with Jesus at the center of it. And he got great help. And that's why he kept going back to the pulpit again and again and again in spite of what the tabloids wrote, in spite of what the newspapers said, he would preach the gospel again. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again because of Jesus. So let's enter into our text and let's just kind of drink in this account of John and... I want us to see just three things. We're going to see Jesus' mission. We're going to see John's discouragement. And we're going to see Jesus' answer. All right? When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
And they went away, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Well, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so we have the words of Matthew giving us the account of John the Baptist and a picture of him in a way we would not expect it. But if you'll notice in verse 1, the first thing we see, the first thing that Matthew wants to amplify in the midst of this whole context is the mission of Jesus. Right? You see it right there in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. It's like Matthew wants you to know the main business of Jesus is preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from city to city. Bringing the hope of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. He just spent all of chapter 10 instructing the 12 disciples that he sent out on gospel ministry that there are going to be some hard things that they were up against. There was going to be spiritual opposition as you engage in the mission of Jesus. And after all, Jesus himself is headed for the cross. Jesus himself is headed for suffering and death. To bring about the salvation of any who will call on His name. And you might be in here today and you need that salvation desperately. And Jesus is a powerful Savior. And not only was it His business to preach and teach in their cities, but it's our business as the people of God. Matthew will end his Gospel commissioning the church, or Jesus will, Commissioning the church to go and make disciples. Preaching the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this mission of Jesus is our mission. And if Jesus was headed for suffering, beloved, we should not think it strange when suffering comes upon the disciple of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus would say in chapter 10 that you must put him above family, above friends, above worldly ambitions, above your vocational pursuits. Jesus is to reign supreme above it all. And even those in your own household may be opposed to you because of your faith in King Jesus. So the call of discipleship and the call of Jesus' mission is costly. But it's gloriously worth it. Why? 
Because that's how people get saved. When you declare the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Jew and Gentile. So the only way somebody could be saved from their sins, the only way somebody can deal with the blackness in their soul, the only way somebody can deal with the real despair going on in the heart and the condition of the human situation that we find ourselves is we need a Redeemer. And that's who Jesus is. And no one will get saved unless they hear this message. Just this past Friday, I was reminded of the reality of the power of this message to save. Having an opportunity to hear of our brothers in Honduras who went to 23 houses and two people heard the Gospel and were saved. Because Jesus saves to the uttermost all who come near to Him. I had an opportunity to talk to a dearly beloved family member who's been rebelling against Jesus his whole life. Rebelling against the Gospel. Not wanting to hear it. Wanting to live in self-destructive ways. Not wanting King Jesus. Proud-hearted. Rebellious. And upon hearing the Gospel of Jesus Christ, just bowing the knee to Jesus in experiencing the life-giving reality of salvation. It can happen in an instant. And you will not be confused about redemption if you've experienced it. Some of you have, are, are wondering in here today, am I the real deal? And perhaps you're not. But you can be if you come to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That means laying down your life. That's why Jesus went from city to city to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And beloved, we're going to have trials and triumphs in the ministry of the Gospel. We're going to have hard times and heavenly times. We're going to have delights and discouragements. And that's what Jesus unfolds even in Matthew 10. I'll just read to you just a snippet of what He said to His disciples. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves daughter or son more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, the costly demands of discipleship. But the glorious reality is it's worth it. 
Like when you forsake all to follow Jesus, not only do you get the trials and the tribulation and the suffering, but you get the glory that comes after. And it makes it pale in comparison. Jesus is not asking them to give up their lives so that they can have their worst life now and to come. He's saying it may be hard now, but glory's coming. And John is going to be our first example of somebody who was just boldly preaching for, for Jesus. He was the forerunner of Christ, preaching the gospel, calling out heretics, faithful, full of love, telling people to repent. People are getting saved because of John's ministry. And all of a sudden, he's in prison. So we've seen Jesus' mission, and now we're going to see John's discouragement. And that's what happens in verse 2. We see the discouragement. We see John, and we're alerted to the reality that as he was on mission, something has changed. And this is the first mention in the Gospel where we hear that John is in pr prison. Verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, I read that, and I was perplexed when I thought about it, because you just don't see John as some coward in prison. Like, he's just worried, hey, I'm going to lose my life. Like, this, this is not John's M.O., Something is going on here with John where it seems he might have misplaced expectations. It seems that what he thought to be true of Jesus was that Jesus was going to reign as king, overthrow the Romans, and not only usher in the kingdom of God and all these miracles and all this salvation, but Jesus would be ruling on the throne of Israel the enemies of Israel would be overthrown and there would be no prophets ever in prison again. John got the salvation part right. He just didn't realize that the physical kingdom of God on the earth was not to come till much, much later. And we're still waiting for that glorious day when Jesus will come back and He will come back as judge. But John had missed something. Somewhere along the line, this bold prophet of God couldn't make sense that he would be in a prison cell of some puppet king named Herod Antipas who was some Edomite who was sleeping with his brother-in-law's sister. Or sorry, his brother's, sister, or his brother's wife. He was in gross immorality. And in fact, John called him out. And that's why he ended up in prison. Faithful ministry. Have you, have you ever thought to yourself, like, I'm doing faithful ministry. I'm living for Jesus. I'm coming to church. I'm involved. I've got a, maybe an office in the church. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Like, shouldn't I be rewarded? I'm doing good for Jesus. 
Can you resonate with that? And Jesus is, he, he's going to take John in the school of understanding what he's up to in the midst of suffering and difficulty. But perhaps, like John, somewhere along the line, we had misplaced expectations. Maybe there's a little prosperity theology in all of us. We think, you come to Jesus, it's going to be health, wealth, and prosperity. No. Jesus would go to the cross before He would reign ultimately and finally as King. And sometimes we want the King without the cross. But Jesus has called us as His people to the way of the cross. And that's a way that comes through suffering to glory. Because the world doesn't really turn its head because the people of God are living for God when everything's going right. What turns the world's head is when you live for God when everything's falling apart and everything's breaking and everything's a mess. And they're like, how do they do it? How did John just not curl up in a ball and start crying? He's about to have his head served up on a platter by some little girl for the king. That's his end. Not quite. He enters glory. And his bold witness would become a, a, an encouragement for every martyr the church has ever seen. Have you heard of John and his boldness in prison? Yeah, he doubted. He came to Jesus with his real questions. Are you the one or should we look for another? But something was happening in this taking his discouragement to Jesus, taking his questions to Jesus. He was getting boldness. He was getting strengthened. Beloved, do you take your discouragements to Jesus or everywhere else? Do you take your honest questions to Jesus? He loves them. Look at verse 2. John heard about the deeds of the Christ in prison. He heard about what Jesus was doing. And he sent word by his disciples to Jesus. And he asked questions. And Jesus is not just like, get out of my face, John. Now, sometimes when people are not honest in their questions, like the Pharisees, and they try to trap Jesus, he gives them a question. And then they get all messed up. And the truth comes out. But you bring your honest heart to Jesus. You bring your honest discouragement. You bring your honest sorrow. He's going to meet you in that. He's going to meet you with hope. So I get great encouragement when I look at this text and I see the greatest prophet next to Jesus who ever lived. And he's discouraged in a dungeon. Are you in a dungeon today? Are you in discouragement? Now, John had Jesus to go to. Are you in a dungeon without Jesus? You just got to be honest with yourself today if you need Christ. There's rescue that can come. 
But if you run from God, you'll never get it. I've watched loved ones and friends run from God and destroy their lives. And they took all that discouragement because life's going to be discouraging regardless if you're a Christian or not. But they took all that discouragement and they tried to bury it in drugs, bury it in alcohol, bury it in work. You can be a busy farmer and end up in hell because you don't know Christ. But John went to Jesus with his discouragement. Beloved, that is a glorious hope. That's an avenue open to every believer. Just think about it. That, that was like a prayer. That was like he was throwing up a prayer at that point. Like, gets, boys, let's ask Jesus what's going on here. Is he the one or is there somebody else? I just want to encourage you. If, you. if you thought the Christian life was not going to be hard, right? It wasn't going to involve suffering. Don't think something strange has happened to you when trials come. Don't think something, you know, untoward is happening. The Apostle Peter would say in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. First comes suffering, then comes... Come on now. Then comes glory. I heard it. I heard it. Say it again. Then comes glory. Alright. First comes suffering, then comes glory. Romans 8 Paul says the same thing. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So these questions that John is asking, the very nature of the question means he's going to Jesus for help. He's not running away from Jesus. He's inquiring honestly to Jesus. So though he's discouraged, though perhaps he's doubting, the Lord meets him with an answer. So we've seen Jesus' mission. We've seen John's discouragement. Now let's look at Jesus' answer. This is what we, this is what we need, right? This is the, the medicine of our soul that we need. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them. So he talks to John and his disciples. You go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed, listen beloved, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I mean, I just get encouraged reading that, let alone proclaiming it, right? I get encouraged reading Jesus. This is who Jesus is. It's like, 
Jesus is giving him like messianic report card credentials. Like, okay, John, you want to see who I am? The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The dead are raised up. The poor are hearing the Gospel. And oh, how blessed are those who don't get offended by me. Are you offended at God today? Are you mad at God? Do you have a grudge with God because of situations in your life? John is getting this vision of Jesus. He's getting a, a, a blueprint of the identity of Christ. Jesus is saying, like John got discouraged because he's in jail and because he thought Jesus would overthrow the Romans. And then Jesus takes him back to the same things that are happening in Matthew 8 and 9. All these miracles show up. And they happen to be prophetic realities that Isaiah spoke of long ago. And what's Jesus doing with John? He's bringing him back to the Bible. Beloved, sometimes we miss something that's so simple. We, we forget that we need to bring our discouragements back to the Bible. We need to bring our discouragement back to the Word of God. Back to the truths of who Jesus is. Back to the truths of the Gospel. Back to the truths of your identity. Back to the truths of God who's glorious and good and He's working in the midst of bringing you through the valley of the shadow of death to the other side. Perhaps what you need today is just to go back to the Bible. You need to go back to the words of Christ and the deeds of Christ. You need to drink in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Perhaps some of you in here, it's been a long time since you even cracked open the Gospels. And you wonder why you're discouraged. Beloved, one of the common denominators in every counseling encounter, almost every one that I've ever had, is at the root of it, there's been a famine of the Word of God. It doesn't matter what you come in with. Marital problems, difficulties with temptation, difficulties with doubt, discouragement, trials hitting you, all of it, in one way or another, usually... At the bottom of it, there's been a famine of the Word of God in your soul. And when you start drinking it up, you start getting encouraged. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was just taking John back to the Gospel. Back to the Word of God. You go tell John about my deeds and my words. You go tell him what you're seeing. You go to tell him that this is coming right out of Isaiah's mouth and it's manifested right here before you. You better believe the Messiah is here. The blind are seeing. Never in the history of Israel did a blind man from birth receive sight. Elijah may have raised somebody from the dead, but you haven't seen that since. And Jesus could do it with a word.
It's like Jesus is saying, read Isaiah 29.18, John. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. That's who I am. I turn back darkness. I turn the light on in your life. I make blind people see. Read Isaiah 35, 5, John. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy for the waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. Come look at my messianic report card, John. Let that break down the walls of the prison cell. You see, sometimes we're so focused on our circumstances and we're not focused on the Word of God and the promises of God and the prophecy of Christ that's been fulfilled that we forget. And all we see is the prison cell. All we see is the dungeon. And you want to lower the walls of the dungeon? You look at the Word of God and you look at Christ and you look at the Gospel. You don't have to fear the prison cell. And you don't have to fear the whims of a dancing girl who will one day ask for your head because my Lord is able to raise you up. Do you believe that in the face of death? He's able to raise you up. And one day He'll bring you out. You don't stay lingering in the discouragement. He'll bring you out to the other side. Let me just get real practical for a second. One way to do this is you just be consistent in coming week in and week in out, week in and week out, sitting under the Word of God every week. One way to bring your honest questions to the Lord is come to prayer meetings on Wednesday night. Bring your sorrow, bring your pain, bring your struggle. We want to pray together, right? We're just like getting our arms around Jesus. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Right? I'll just be honest with you. We don't have a lot of people in our prayer meetings. I bet we have a lot of discouragement in the room, though. I just want you to run towards hope. Right? That's why I encourage you to come. When the people of God pray together, we see the world changed. We see your lives changed. My life changed. John's being called back to the Bible. The last quote that Jesus makes is a reference to Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And then it says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now what's fascinating about this is the one thing Jesus leaves out of his list to John the Baptist is what? He doesn't say anything about prisoners going free. 
Of course, Jesus is going to liberate everybody from bondage to sin in the prison of sin who trust him. But he doesn't tell John you're getting out of jail. Because John has a purpose for his suffering. John is going to be like that seed that died and fell into the ground and sprouted all kinds of life. John is going to be the echo of holy boldness and fearless witness. And though his head was served up on a platter, he receives a standing ovation from Jesus and the angels in heaven. Just like Stephen did in the book of Acts when he was stoned for preaching the gospel to his fellow Jews. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. My God will deliver me, but if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow. You got that kind of boldness? You got that kind of faith? You get it in this place. You get it in this text. You get Jesus helping you. You get Jesus directing you. You get Jesus encouraging you. So let me close with just a couple quick observations. As the Lord is no doubt speaking to you. Perhaps you find yourself in, in here today discouraged because you've been looking at your circumstances and not at Christ. And what you need most is to fix your gaze on Christ. Like Peter walking on water. Everything's going good. He's looking at Jesus. He's got like tunnel vision on Jesus. And all of a sudden, the storm gets a little crazy. Waves start beating. His legs start getting wobbly. He's looking around. And he begins to sink. Look to Jesus in your suffering and in your pain. And if you don't know Christ, today can be the day you start looking to Jesus. He's an able Savior. And He's able to save to the uttermost all who will come near. Secondly, take real questions to Jesus. Some of you in here today are discouraged and maybe even have a grudge because you never brought your questions to the Lord. You never came to Him in prayer. You never came to Him with a broken heart. You never came to Him. The Lord's near to the brokenhearted. And what happens when you actually come to the Lord with your questions in humble faith is you're moving away from proud-hearted, I'll do it on my own, to, Lord, I don't know what's happening. I need Your help. Amen. And that's a great place to be. And let me close with this third thing. Notice in verse 6 that Jesus says, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Jesus reminds us that the life that's not offended by Jesus is the one that actually trusts Jesus. Amen. Right? You've got a grudge with God. You're not trusting Jesus. And you probably don't know the sweetness of His salvation. 
blessed, happy, glorious is the life of somebody who just lays it all out. I watched somebody do that on Friday. Just hardened his whole life. Would not bow to Jesus. Everything gets stripped away. Consequences bear down hard. And Jesus is coming with the Gospel in a moment of need. And just like that, somebody can be saved when they put their trust in Christ. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you need to take courage and put your trust in Christ. Admit your sin and your need and come to Him in faith. He's an able Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word and we thank You for Your faithfulness. Um, Father, I just want to pray for those in here today that they know they need You. And they realize, Lord, that You've been speaking to them and You're calling them to get back to the Bible. You're calling them to get back to a commitment to Jesus. You're calling them to bring their honest questions to You. And You're like the balm of Gilead, Lord, just coming upon a wounded soul. And I pray You would visit many today with encouragement. And maybe there's some in here, Father, that don't know You or they're not sure about their, the state of their soul. Or they're just feeling an ache that's not gone away for years and years. It's a spiritual ache. And they need the medicine that the great physician can provide. That's why he died on a cross. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he says to anybody, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you right now. Slip up your hand in the air and I'd like to pray for you. Take courage and just raise your hand in the air physically. It's like saying, I need the Lord right now. You need Christ. Don't worry about what it's going to look like to anybody else. You've got to commit to Christ. Jesus said that if you acknowledge Him before men, He will acknowledge you before His Father. Maybe you need to come to Christ and get honest with God. You raise your hand physically in the air and I'd like to pray for you. Anybody? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? The Lord is speaking to you. He's been working on your heart. You know you need Him. You know you need His grace. Today's the day. Settle it. Bring your heart to Jesus. Just raise your hand in the air. I'd like to pray for you. Father God, I pray for these who've raised their hand and acknowledge that they need you. Father, I pray that you would be encouraging them and ministering to them and helping them right now. Lord, as they've made this decision to put their trust in you, and they're signaling it by raising their hand in the air. Lord, I pray that they would have the boldness now and the faith to, to pray with me right now. And if, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to pray these words with me. Pray, dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. 
But I believe that you sent a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe that He rose from the dead three days later. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting You to save me. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And help me, Lord, to come from a place of discouragement to joy in the Lord. And I commit my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, as we